If the product market don't fit, you must, oh, you know the rest of it. Using product market fit, that's right. How well do you fit into the marketplace and what does your product do within it as a lever for investing? Not a radical idea, but absolutely one that this investor believes in and has honed it to a science. So sit back today, listen on the podcast as we complete our four-part series on investors, VCs, and the money people with Steve Mankoff today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Wills. Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have Steve on. Everyone has their secret sauce, their thing that they look at that helps them to evaluate whether you're in the right space or not. Steve takes a holistic view of, are you worthy? Is there a good enough space? Have I been introduced to you? Do I know you? And can I commit to you? But then really looks at this idea of product market fit. How well do you know your market? What have you done to establish yourself in that market? How well have you evaluated that market? What do you know about it? And how are you going to be successful at it? And if you can go through all of those lenses, those litmus tests, well, then you've got a pretty good shot of partnering up with Steve and his team and becoming successful. So today on the podcast, how do we think about product market fit as a lever for investing? And what does that look like? Sit back, take a listen as Steve walks us through that journey. Welcome. Thanks. Great to talk with you this morning. So I'd love to kick things off by giving you a chance to share a little more about your background and how you ended up in the VC game. Sure. So um, I've been in the technology industry for a very long time. I came out here in the 80s, uh, originally to work in product management for Oracle and uh, have spent most of my career on the operating side for Oracle. I worked in product management and sales. Then I went to another software company where I uh, continued in sales for a while, ran product management, then ultimately ran all sales and marketing for them. And then I joined a, a company called Siebel uh, back before they had a customer and a product and spent 12 years there in a variety of different roles. But in the end, I ran uh, all of their post sales and some of the development about two thirds of the revenue and 40% of the employees. Uh, when we sold that to Oracle in 2006, I decided not to round trip and go back to Oracle and instead started doing some angel investing. I started working on the side with a private equity firm, um, investing in mid-sized technology companies. Uh, and uh, that angel investing led me to uh, introducing deals to a good friend of mine who was running TDF Ventures, my current venture firm. And uh, kind of that led to me joining the firm and uh, now spend my time working with early stage startups in the Bay Area. Cool. So you've got, you know, you've, you've gone through the whole process from beginning to end back at Siebel Systems. You're, you've been investing in a bunch of early stage companies. Um, I'd love to understand kind of, um, you know, how you invest in early stage companies. So typically what, where are these companies um, normally when you invest in kind of what's going on? Do they have product? What does the team look like? Um, and kind of how do you assess them? What do you typically look for? So um, typically I'm investing through my network. So out in Silicon Valley, um, TDF Ventures is not a brand. I'm not a big brand. So I'm generally um, looking for opportunities where I've either worked with the team before 
or or I've got you know a bunch of warm introductions into that team, um, and uh, in those companies, uh, generally I'll do some things where had some ideas and I've worked with some other investors and founders and we've created them from scratch. So I'm actually kind of a, a founding investor board member. There are others that are, you know, I'll do a few seed deals uh, where I know the team really well. The majority of the stuff that I'm going to do is in a series A uh, where the the company has already got initial product. They already got some initial customers and kind of the, one of the common things that really focused on in all those investments at this early phase is kind of how do you know you've got product market fit and what does that look like? And uh, on top of that, then, you know, kind of what's the size of the market opportunity and the, the ability for that company to create or own a, a, a big, new, compelling market. So how do you know you've got product market fit? That's um, like the, you know, it's like this magic question. How do you know? Right. So that is that is a great question and something that uh, ultimately we all struggle with. If I look at across the, the startups that I work with, uh, you know, it's kind of the make or break moment and, you know, too many companies get surprised. Um, some common themes that I see in the companies that get there on product market fit is that they tend to be uh, kind of have a lot more uh, market research or market awareness. So, you know, a lot of times entrepreneurs will have a great idea and they'll go pursue that idea. And some will, you know, based on a single customer or their own idea, go build it and then joke, try to find some customers and potential fit. Uh, other entrepreneurs will go out and leverage their network and talk to 50, 100 or more, you know, potential customers um, and get a lot of different market data points around that and kind of just have a much, um, kind of deeper customer perspective of the market at the start. And I find that second group tends to get better traction and better results. So it's not doing, you know, it's not, you go survey the customers to tell you what to build, but going and spending a lot of time with potential customers and kind of going deep in the market to really understand, you know, kind of what are potential, you know, what are the critical requirements? What are the differentiators? What is, you know, kind of, how does your idea marry up with the market to go be successful? Um, and then in terms of the actual market, product market fit and traction, you know, a lot of it, uh, you know, it's very simply when you look at the product and early customers, um, is the product a nice to have or a must have? And so when you've got a product where basically you've, you've proven the value you want to deliver, it's very sticky. Customers are like, no, don't, you can't take this away. And, you know, I can't do my job without it. Um, then you have uh, a, a must-have, and that's just a much easier way to go build a business. Um, so that's the second element of it that I really look at. And the third element of it I look at is kind of the waves of customer adoption and that, you know, for any solution, you know, first 10, 20 customers shouldn't be that hard. They're early adopters. They're inclined to be supportive. You know, what does that next set up, you know, kind of the next 20, the next 40, the next 100 customers look like? And kind of what's the product market fit for that, um, you know, and where are you on that evolution from a, a nice to have to a must have? So I uh, covered a lot of ground there. Let me take a breath, see if you have any follow on questions. Um, yeah, I mean, those are it's it's an interesting structure. And there's sort of three three phases right there. Right. The first one, I think, is interesting because there's been what I think is this um kind of model that a lot of companies are, are following, which is very much a sort of product first model, um, where I think they start with the idea, they've got this big idea, and then they sort of go out in search of 
finding a market for it. And so I'm curious about sort of how you, you know, what, what you're suggesting, I think, is a little bit more market first. So, yeah, what I'm suggesting is absolutely market first, but it's not market only. So, you know, great products come from, you know, kind of founder intuition and all of their experience and their passion married up with market first data. And I, and I think it's, you know, um, if you have a great idea and you go research how that's going to go uh, work with a, a large customer base, the more data points, the better. Um, and a lot of times founders will work off their idea and maybe only with a couple customers and, you know, they tend to make product decisions and often architecture decisions that'll work for those first customers, but really haven't figured out how to take that architecture and product and the configurability of that solution and have it work across a broader market base. So, um, you know, that, that there's a real trap there that you, Build a solution that's going to work for customers one through three, and you got to fundamentally re-architect it to really, you know, fit in a market. Um, there are um, a couple of startups and companies that I've worked with that um, are releasing, you know, either their first product or new products, and you know, they had a limited number of data points. And when they shipped those products, they found out that they were missing critical functionality to be successful. And kind of the response often from those teams is, "Well, we had no way of knowing." that was the case in the, and kind of, to me, that answer falls flat. And that really, if they'd gone out and, you know, through their networks, uh, through third party research, had gone out and gotten a lot more data points, they would have learned those critical requirements or kind of, kind of critical market needs. So I, I think you've got a, um, you know, it takes a little more time up front to really go research a market and really understand those market requirements and kind of, kind of where they are today and where they're going to be in the future and get, you know, really broad uh, potential customer input, um, you know, kind of, you know, volumes through surveys and, you know, in depth through detailed interviews and meetings. That takes a lot of work, but it's, it's, a, a, it's a great investment to make and a key to a successful startup. Do you have any specific kind of um, advice for companies on how to do this or sort of examples of sort of some of your companies and things they've done well or sort of, you know, obvious things that they sort of didn't do um, in kind of figuring this process out? Because you're right, it is, it's a big investment. Like if you do, I don't know, market surveys and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it does seem to have big implications going forward, but it is also potentially a big investment. Um, so, you know, the first place to start is, you know, um, we all have networks and, you know, tools like LinkedIn make it easier to go leverage our networks, but, you know, go out and talk directly to a bunch of potential customers, right? Uh, you know, I, I think there's no substitute for, you know, ideally 50, you know, detailed conversations of kind of understanding their pain points, understanding kind of your vision and how the two marry up. And really doing those in-depth meetings and continuing to do them and get those data points. Uh, in terms of getting to the people outside your network, which is really critical because too much of what we do in startups is talk to each other in Silicon Valley and don't get out to the broader market. Or if your solution is outside Silicon Valley, getting to you know the different vertical business markets you need to get to is harder. Um, these third-party research panels and um, firms make it much easier. And I'm, I'm investing in a company that's still in stealth that's going to help make this easier for everybody. Uh, so I'm very excited about that and passionate about that opportunity. But I think um, there are, you know, kind of, there are tools that out there to go 
get this done and it's going to get a lot easier and a lot more cost effective soon. So starting out doing a lot of market research up front, don't just build product, but actually get a lot of, uh, um, a lot of data, get outside your network. So, you know, you know one other, sorry to jump in yeah. one other thing I should oh, angle is if, if you think about a lot of uh, successful early stage companies, what are the partnerships you can leverage? So kind of, um, quote someone I used to work with, standing on the shoulder of giants. So a, a lot of times getting access to the market as a founder is hard, but if you see key partnerships are going to you know, be critical to, the, to your company and the go-to-market and to serving these customers, you know, trying to leverage those partnerships to get to their networks and their customers and the warm introductions there, first in research, then to identify betas, and then ultimately to go sell them. Um, you know, at Siebel, we went out and talked to uh, 50 or 100 different companies uh, when we were first figuring out the product. And even though we had expertise in what we were building there, um, and then we went back and, uh, you know, told, took our plans in front of those companies once we built the, the product spec. And, you know, some of them put up their hands and said, great, I'd love to be betas. And some of them became able customers. And then actually over the course of many years, most of them ultimately became customers. Um, so I do think, um, you know, we were able to get that through our network. But also as we started to get our first go-to-market partners, they got us toward a broader set of customers and verticals that we were able to have those in-depth conversations and kind of work a similar, you know, kind of uh, understand the requirements, come back to them with plans and ultimately sell them the solution. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You've, so you've done, you know, companies done all this um, research, they're building the product, the, this kind of, you know, next phase then sort of as they begin to get traction, um, you know, I, I'm curious, especially, so or, or maybe more generally, right? At what point, I guess, what's your take on kind of the role of marketing and what that function kind of is and kind of when it begins to come into play and what that begins to look like at these early stages. So um, I think marketing, um, so all companies divide, you know, in, in on the product side, there's this, you know, kind of product management, product marketing, and then there's the other parts of marketing um, that everybody breaks out a little bit differently. But ultimately, you know, first, you know, the early focus is clearly on the product and getting to that product market fit. But as you're doing that, um, you can't suddenly say, hey, I have that solution and I'm ready to go. And now I'm going to start to think about marketing. I think you need to start to think about marketing very early in the life cycle of the company. And as you're working from your uh, kind of kind of getting to your uh, minimum viable product that has product market fit, you know, along that journey, you have to start ramping up the marketing. So once you actually have that product, it's all about how am I going to sell that and get critical mass on sales. Uh, marketing has to start early in the journey. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of key elements of the marketing to worry about early on is the overall, you know, positioning of the company and brand, then actually getting into kind of what's, you know, kind of the the whole demand tech part of it. So the marketing demand tech element of how am I going to generate and support the demand and kind of what's the, the content strategy to support all of that. Um, it should be something that founders are thinking about, you know, they're going to need to start doing that to reach out to companies in the beginning to do their market research. They definitely need that when they get into beta and absolutely when they get into product launch. Are there any sort of, common, 
either mistakes you see with respect to this or sort of uh, examples that you've seen where companies have kind of managed and balanced this uh, really well uh, and invested in some sort of key things early that you think made a huge difference? So um, uh, seen mistakes all over the map on this, right? <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, part of it is a timing challenge. You can start spending, you know, a bunch of marketing dollars when you don't have product market fit and you think you have it and you're spending and burning a ton of cash that's not getting you a lot of value. And on the other side of it, lots of companies just wait till late. You know, they kind of an early set of adopter customers they know how to get to, and they're looking to get to that next big wave of customers, and they don't have any of the marketing tools and materials and approaches to go support that. So, um, you know, it's easy to get this wrong. Um, and I think just like your product strategy evolves over time, your marketing strategy evolves over time and your positioning strategy evolves over time and it evolves based on kind of where your solution's going, how your market's responding, kind of, kind of that kind of bell curve of user adoption or, you know, of potential customers of early adopters to the next wave of, of, of adopters of your product to kind of the, kind of the later, more cynical customers you have to go out and market to. So, um, you know, it's um, marketing needs to be in it kind of, in my view, I think marketing, you know, needs to be involved early enough along with the product strategy that you can build out the roadmap of kind of what deliverables do I need and when and recognize it's going to be, you know, you know, what your positioning on day one is a company is versus your positioning on year one versus year three is going to continue to evolve and change. And, um, Marketing is a key component of, you know, digesting that and driving that the whole way. One of the things I love about being on C-Suite Radio is our sponsors. That's right. I love the people that actually invest time, effort, money, and energy in making this show happen. So I would appreciate it, and I know they would too, if you'd sit back, take a listen to our next sponsor. Thank you for listening patiently and appreciatively. I will now get back to Steve as we finish up our conversation around VCs, investors, and product market fit. Do you have a, any kind of take on, I mean, obviously every company and every founder is different, but it, for many founders who come from kind of a, maybe a tech background or um, most founders are not from a marketing background. Um, do you have any kind of take on how... Um, either how you think they should approach this or sort of what you've seen work for some of these founders, given that they often don't have that background. Right. Like, do they hire a CMO early? Do they, you know, um, partner with someone? Do they just have to go read some books and figure it out? Um, like our book, of course. Um, yeah. You know, what's the... <laughs> so that's a great question. A um, couple of things. One is, you know, just like on the product side, there are lots of different domains, right? You have people who are experts in, you know, user experience and the front end and people who are, you know, kind of in the back end or security or whatever the different roles. There are a lot of different roles and domain uh, uh, areas of uh, skill and expertise in marketing. So I think, you know, technical founders often assume there's a, you know, I get a single marketing person and he or she can do everything. And that's generally not the case. Uh, the second thing is a lot of the things you need done in marketing are part-time roles. And so they're often early on people you can work with, you know, in PR and content where you can get really, 
you know, great third parties to work for you part-time to help drive this. Um, in terms of an overall marketing lead to drive the strategy, um, my view is the most successful companies, you know, bring the best teams forward and it's hard, you know, and, and it's a team, it's not a single player. And so I think there's always startups are looking at, you know, what talent can I attract? What talent can I afford? Um, and um, looking for that right first great marketing hire. And whether it's, you know, someone at a director level or VP level or CMO, ultimately there's a need for a CMO, but what I can afford when I'm just getting to revenue versus I've established revenue and how I fill that role, um, you know, there's a lot of trade-offs there. So in, in some ways, I think people are in a rush to hire a CMO early, but if they waited a year, they could maybe get someone who might be a better fit. So opportunistically get the best talent you can as early as you can, that you can afford it. Uh, recognizing that, you know, a lot of this work I can do through some third parties, but you know, who can be a key partner table to help me drive this whole go-to-market strategy. That's good advice. Um, so I'm going to jump backwards for a second. Um, and we, at the beginning, we're talking a little bit about the sort of what you look for as you're um, determining whether to invest. And I'm curious, even at that stage, sort of as companies are pitching you, um, are there common mistakes uh, that you see sort of at that stage or sort of advice that you would give companies when they're uh, coming to people like you and looking for funding? Sure. So, um, you know, I've been uh, long enough in venture to understand that um, I think of most markets, there's a bell curve. You figure out the bell curve and you know how to go attack it. Uh, venture often feels like a scatter, scattergram. So, you know, kind of what works for me may be totally opposite of what works for a different investor. So one is just the realization there's not one size fits all uh, right. and how we approach the market is very important. Um, you know, when I am uh, looking at uh, investments, some of the things that really matter to me, uh, you know, in that, in that first meeting and that pitch is I'm investing in people um, and it's people first, great idea second, uh, and the third is the potential market for that idea and understanding that. Um, so too many investors come in and they just kind of want to walk through their slide deck without telling me the story of the startup. Why'd you do it? Everything has a story behind it. And I think stories really um, help convey passion, message, and belief. Uh, the second thing is I tend to look for companies that are what I would see as bigger swings and product differentiated with defendable technology and IP. And so I tend to like to go deep on product earlier. Other people don't do that. But I think, you know, being prepared for the different um the different investors and, and, and kind of being prepared to understand, you know, kind of what about your solution that you've built is truly unique and defendable. What's your secret sauce? Uh, most investors I, or, you know, most founders I talk to answer that question quickly, but I'm surprised how many haven't like really thought that through. Um, the other thing is, you know, I expect you to be optimistic about your market. And so, you know, your numbers are probably going to be a little frothy, but they can't be crazy. Similarly, in uh, you know, kind of uh, in all aspects of the presentation, you know, kind of I need to understand your thoughts on the total available market. But what is the real market you're you're attacking? How does that look over time? You know, uh, everybody suddenly seems to have a five or ten billion dollar market available today. Um, you know, kind of some real depth and quality of thinking there. 
and understanding what you're going after today and down the road is very helpful. Um, and then in a lot of ways, funding is a journey, right? Um, so you're kind of building your business, uh, but in parallel, you need capital from people like me to go drive the, that, that business. And so when, you know, I'm writing a check, I'm not, I'm thinking about what's the potential of this team to ultimately be successful, but I'm thinking about really what's the next steps in the journey. So if you're raising a seed or an A, how much money do you want? What are you going to go prove with that? What are you going to go accomplish? And, you know, do those, that proof points and accomplishment allow you to get the next capital you need uh, to go, you know, continue to build and grow your business. Um, so, and then the other thing is, you know, kind of, um, in the market dynamics, everything people tend to do is they want to create a two by two grid on competition, like standard Gartner chart. And that really doesn't tell me a lot. I really like kind of the, the Harvey ball chart that shows me kind of what's the market at, who's playing in what areas kind of, you know, kind of how complete are you in each areas of the solution versus them. And really kind of, um, I'm going to go do my own evaluation if I'm seriously considering the opportunity, but the depth of your thought about, we all ultimately have some level of competition where it is, where it's going to come from and uh, kind of some greater insights versus a simple two by two chart that magically positions you as the only one who's going to play in this market. <laughs> <laughs> you actually want them to think about it and go deep. Right. Right. Yes. Right. If, we don't, if, you don't, you know, if we don't all have a healthy paranoia about competition, right. And sustainable competitive advantage, we're not going to succeed. So I think it's just things that should be, natural to successful entrepreneurs, they'll come through in the discussions and, and how they approach the market and their thoughts and depth on that. So the takeaway is have a healthy paranoia. Yeah. <laughs> I, every founder has to, right? Yeah. So. Yep, totally fair. Um, we're coming to the end here, but um, I want to just give you the opportunity, I guess, is there anything either we didn't touch on that you'd like to add or, you know, a final piece of advice that you would want uh, found, uh, any founders to take away from this discussion? So, you know, all, you know, I, I remember someone um, who had joined Siebel um, and was working on another startup with me and joined Siebel in later days said, you know, kind of our startup is really hard. It's not like the early days of Siebel where things were incredibly easy. And I kind of, you know, I had a good chuckle on that because at Siebel, we were one of the fastest growing software companies ever at the time, but everything was hard, right? In the early days, you're, you know, kind of, you know, if you're skiing, you're always over the edge of your, edge of your skis and you're kind of at risk of, you know, a huge wipeout and you're going to have a lot of challenges and make a lot of mistakes along the way. So I think as uh, you're thinking about, you know, technical founders think about everything they're doing on the product, but go to markets the same way, right? You got to, you got to do your research. You got to be thoughtful about it. You're going to find a lot of things don't work and you got to learn quickly and you got to course correct. And that's all part of the process. And I think when you have things working, what work may work in an early phase may not work in that subsequent phase. So you have to then start to think about kind of what's working and what's not that healthy paranoia about scaling, um, so it's, it's a lot to shoulder as an entrepreneur, um, but really, you know, product is just one piece of the puzzle. That's clearly the first piece, but if you're not early on thinking about that, go to market and working on that and learning that and thinking about how to scale it, you know, it's often where, where these startups hit the wall. That's great advice. Thank you. Thank you for your time today, Steve. This has been great. You bet. My pleasure. And, uh, great talking to you about this. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast today. Really love Steve's point of view and his perspectives um, on how he's thinking about this. 
He certainly thinks about it, again, as we talked about product market fit, uh, really going through the research, thinking about this as a science, and not just thinking you have a fit, but really knowing you have a fit. What does that look like? How do you connect with the space? What have you really done to understand that? And this really early stage focus to get your product right and know what you're doing to evolve it and what those life cycles look like. And so this is a person that takes the product perspective and really hones it and makes it their own. Uh, he's done a phenomenal job, especially with with TDF Ventures, of kind of picking the right horses, if you will, um, to go ahead and, and make this work. And he's done a fantastic job in doing it and really has this idea of talking to your customers, knowing your customers, knowing the space. But you heard it all from him. If you'd like to follow him, and I suggest that you do, he can be found on his website at TDF Ventures. That's TDFVentures.com. Or go ahead and follow him on Twitter. He made it really easy. It's S Mankoff. So S M A N K O F F on Twitter. For me, that's it for the show. Uh, this ends our four part series on investors. We'll do a wrap up here in a week and then we move on to our storied histories of CMOs. So look forward to those as well. Hope you have a great week and thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.